everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Note Podcast. As always, we're back with another awesome episode. I know you guys are going to dig this one. But before we do, we have to mention our sponsors. As always, Season 2 is brought to you by Modus Nation. Please check out modusnation.com. They're always coming out with new designs, new shirts. Really great company. Ben and Lindsay are doing an awesome job making some great stuff. Really giving back to the community, giving back to various charities. I know you won't be disappointed, so please check them out. Please use our promo code, NothingOwed for a discount on the website and I know you will be very satisfied they make some awesome stuff and they're uh, they're good people so please give them your business and also let's not forget about Grind Ups Coffee Aaron Meza please check him out he's making some awesome coffee he has a nice uh, apparel line too and he's also giving a charity please uh, please check out Grind Ups Coffee Aaron Meza you won't be disappointed and I always like to say Aaron is not just uh, rebagging generic coffee He's actually taking the time to design the roast. He's picking the beans. So he is actually designing a, a specific blend of coffee that you can't get anywhere else. And I think you can tell the difference once you try it. So please check out Aaron Meza at Grind Ops Coffee. And like I said, he also supports a canine charity, which is very cool. So if you go to grindopscoffee.com, they have links to all their websites and all the charities that they support. But uh, please support him. Please support his charity. He's doing really important work, especially getting uh, service dogs a home after their uh, their time is up doing their uh their job so it's a good charity good company Aaron Mace is a good dude he was on the show before I know you won't be disappointed and last but not least please check out Winfield Watch Mark is doing some awesome work with his watches he actually just came up with a new field watch which is actually really cool um, like I said his original watch is awesome I actually purchased one myself uh, before he was even on the show very satisfied with the watch it's, it's an awesome design very cool very durable uh it's a kind of a field watch style, but he has a newer watch, which actually is a good compliment. It's a little simpler design. Uh, doesn't have the rotating bezel, but still very legible, very, uh, very much still a, a field watch, but uh, please check it out. Please check out Winfield watch. I know you won't be disappointed. And like I said, Mark is doing awesome work over there. Good company. Really proud to, uh, to have him as a partner on the show. And also too, like I said, they, they make good stuff. So he's a good guy, good product. I know you won't be disappointed. So please also uh, check out Winfield watch. All right, and with that out of the way, let's get into the show. All right, thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Old Podcast. As always, you're here with uh, Ben and Brian, and we have another amazing guest uh, this week. We have uh, Dave Adams, who's a U.S. Army veteran and founder of Dash 10 Sauce. Uh, he's a great guy. He's a former uh, Kiowa pilot, so we uh, were chatting about that for a few minutes. But um, I know you're going to like this one. This will be a, a great episode. Great guy. Um, but before I do that, I always like to uh, say hi to Ben, let him uh, tell us what's new, what's going on, and then uh, we'll turn it over to Dave. So, Ben, how you doing? What's new? How you been? Oh, man. It's been a busy week, a couple weeks, you know. Uh, Ma Deuce got out to uh, a gun show up in Salt Lake City this past weekend, met met some good people, some like-minded people. So, cool. uh, got some new, some new guests lined up to come out. And- Very cool. You know, the world continues to change and and get better in some places and deteriorate <laughs> in others. But, uh, you know, it's been good. Family's healthy, can't complain, uh, and busy. So can't complain too much. I'm excited about talking to Dave. We've been going back and forth for a little bit and trying to get, you know, trying to get schedules lined up. He's a busy guy like the rest of us. Um, so I'm glad we finally got him on, um, you know, for the listeners, everybody knows how Brian and I feel about barbecue and sauces and food. So 
um, Dave's got some good, some good sauces and a great story to, to boot. So I'm excited. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. How are you, Dave? It's glad to, glad to have you here. I'm glad you're on the show. So um, really appreciate it. If, um, if you could just kind of give everyone a kind of brief introduction, uh, kind of where you came from. I know, like I said, you served in the army, which is awesome. Uh, you know, but uh, kind of give us a background, how, where you got started, you know, childhood, um, what made you decide to enlist in the army, all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Dave Adams, uh, an owner operator of, of Dash 10, um, do, do all kinds of different sauces, uh, hot sauce, barbecue sauce, rubs. And so um, had a lot of stuff in the works as well. But uh, as kind of you guys already mentioned, um, like I was in the army for 11 and a half years, but if you look back, you know, why I decided to join uh, is my whole family's been, was been the military. Uh, my dad was prior Marines, uh, enlisted. Right. I had cousins that were in all different kinds of branches. I think we have, I had some kind of relative that was in some type of branch, um, even the Coast Guard. So, you know, it's a, <laughs> but um, yeah, so, uh, you know, my brother. Are, are we, are we counting that? I mean, <laughs> as, as service or is in, that In vacation? the defense of the Coast Guard, I will say the videos of those guys hopping on those narco subs oh, yeah. on the hatch, that's pretty hardcore. So I oh, got to yeah, give it to them. Oh yeah, I mean, I count, I probably count that more as a service now than Space Force. I think they they graduated; they can come out of the basement now. And Space Force <laughs> goes in the basement. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but um, you know, uh, enlisted. Um, you know, two thousand three. Uh, my brother uh, enlisted uh, very shortly after after nine eleven um, happened. Um, I was kind of right behind him. I ha- had an inkling to join the military. I just didn't know what I wanted to do with it, and use my younger brother as an excuse who really wanted to join. Uh, to talk to recruiters without actually talking to the recruiters. So he was like my, my scapegoat and uh, talked to all the different branches, uh, really liked what the army had to say and even called the recruiter who was confused who I was because he didn't think I was going to join. Uh, decided to enlist in uh, May 2003. Um, at the time, I was also in college, um, you know, making fun of ROTC, but decided to do the ROTC route in conjunction with being enlisted. And so after I enlisted, I uh, went to base training AIT, uh, decided to become an officer so I could fly helicopters Very and cool. uh, did ROTC for about two and a half years, uh, graduated in um, August of 2006 and commissioned at the same day and then was down in uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama for flight school and decided to, you know, fly the, the best helicopter out there, which sadly has been retired now, but uh, <laughs> decided to fly the Kyra Warrior OHV-8 Delta because um, I wanted to support the ground guys. And love their mission that they actually would, you know, everyone supports, but they actually are the true, you know, up in the air, always with them. That's how I was, you know, told about it from another Kiowa pilot, you know, and look, Blackhawks are great and Apaches are great, but if they don't have a mission, they really don't fly versus Kiowas kind of go out and find their own thing. And so decided to do that, um, came up here to Fort Campbell, uh, Kentucky, um, after I graduated uh, flight school uh, with 217 cab and 101st, you know, Combat Aviation Brigade. Uh, deployed to Afghanistan in March of 2010 and then for a year uh, in uh, RC South out of Kandahar and got back from there and that's where kind of the story kind of picks up with hot sauce a little bit where um, my mom came up with a recipe of hot sauce like back in the 80s because um, she thought no flavor existed out there for, that she liked for hot sauce and so everywhere I went every duty station I went to I kind of made hot sauce for people out, out of that everyone loved it um, and every 10 years she decided she was going to bottle it, just never did it. So every 10 years she decided to come up with a plan, came up with a new name, new artwork, and just it fizzled out. So when I got home from Afghanistan in 2011, 
Um, I asked her what she was going to do with, you know, the hot sauce, you know, right. what she, you know, she was going to do with it. She's like, oh, I'm just going to give away to family and friends and that's it. And I'm like, that's a dumb idea. Don't do that. Sell it to me. You know, I knew how to make it, but I wanted to legally own it. So um, I bought it from her for a dollar. Um, and I told her, don't worry, I'll get this bottled and, you know, help fulfill your dream of seeing this in a store shelf somewhere. Don't worry. Um, you know, fast forward to 10 years later and I still, <laughs> still hadn't bottled it yet. Um, you know, I, I worked on the flavors, you know, I, I took her flavor, figured out how to, you know, perfect it, took out some stuff, you know, changed it just very slightly. Um, and then what experiment with that on, if I take this out and add this, here's my new flavor and started coming up with flavors. Um, I was at joint base Lewis McCord after captain's career course and came up with three more hot sauce while I was there that, um, that I was going to do, had people experimenting with it. People were loving it. And then, um, right before I actually took command, I found out I had some injuries from my back of just bounced around in a helicopter for, you know, 700 hours. It's not, right. it's not healthy. It was not healthy for me at all. And so, uh, you know, they started the med board process on me, uh, surprised me with that. And so, you know, a year and a half later in 2014, I was med boarded out of the military. We've got a, a real good friend of the show. That's, that was a crew chief in the one sixtieth, And, uh, and he, he, he kind of tells the same story where he was, you know, flying with his hair on fire, mock, whatever they say on Top Gun, you know, Mark four with his hair on fire and, uh, you know, loved every moment of his job. And just from the, you know, the, the tension that gets put on your back uh, from, you know, just from the vibrations uh, in a helicopter was, was killing him. So uh, we've heard this story before, man, just getting slammed with the med board. And then you kind of go, wait, what? You know? <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, they found some stuff. I mean, I was having some back pain and then as they kept exploring, they kept finding more and more stuff as you went my back and they found some a compression fracture in my neck and that kind of ended the me getting a waiver once they found that and explained the tingling in my hands um it's not good to have tingling in your hands and your feet when you're flying a helicopter and apparently once a big army finds that out uh, they don't like that either so <laughs> do you think that the military because we've heard this story a few times and it's always disappointing to to see good people kind of forcibly retire from the military do you think they're making any progress on this i mean are they are they giving troops I mean, whatever branch, I mean, have you guys heard, is there any, any progress in this? Are they giving people alternatives? I mean, maybe you can't do your old MOS, but is any of that changing? Cause it, it doesn't make sense to me. Dude. So yeah. let me, let me pipe in real quick and I'm going to shift on us for a second, Dave, but oh, yeah. th this past weekend when we were at the gun show, um, I ran into an active duty Colonel full bird Colonel. And we were talking about, um, you know, this big push right now for, for soldiers, Marines, airmen, not to take the vaccine and how they're pushing those guys out. And he said, he said to me, and this could be completely conspiracy theory, but he said to me that they're, they're pushing this so big in the, in the armed forces right now, because they're trying to, they're trying to segregate out the people that are like-minded you know, that maybe are on the conservative side of things that they don't want them in the military because the, the current government situation needs the military to back them. So that the more that they flush out experienced hardened soldiers, one, and then anybody that's of conservative mind thoughts out, they'll have a military that will back the current government. And that's why you're seeing all these, um, like they're just they're just flushing out these guys that are just even questioning the the vaccination, and then also flushing out 
guys that are experienced and you're seeing these people in leadership roles that are, that are probably not the best fits for those leadership roles. Um, so conspiracy theory or not, I don't know, but it sounded good. Yeah, and I, I would say with me, um, whenever they decided to, to med board me, there was talk, you know, that I, I could reclass. I, mean, I couldn't fly a helicopter again. Right. Uh, just, you know, having that tingling sensation and numbness is is not is never good when you're flying up in the air, especially when you have all this armament and stuff with you right. and your co-pilot. And so, I mean, they did talk with me about, you know, if I could stand, I could fight it. There's a chance I could rebranch into a different, you know, um, to something else like supply or logistics or anything like that. Or, but they said I would never fly again. And that was kind of like the tradition, or they said I could stay in, I would have a waiver waiver for my back, but just with the standard normal everyday beating, you know, getting beat up with wearing anything heavy with your in the military and the way my back was, they said it was not, it's not was not a great combination. So mm-hmm. they said I could have, I could have fought it, but the likelihood of me winning that was very slim or, yeah. If I did win it, I would definitely rebranch and would not be in the aviation world anymore. That sucks. Yeah, I just, well, I just like to ask who wants you to be supply? <laughs> I, I did actually do S four for a little bit while I was in aviation, but yeah, I agree. Who wants to be supply? <laughs> Stupid. Well, that's where you get your boots and your ammo and your challenge. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's exactly. Kind of like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like my day job right now. Actually, I'm since I'm a sales manager, I actually deal with supply all the time. <laughs> So where are you at? Are you in Texas? Do you live in Texas? No, I'm actually, uh, I'm in here in Tennessee in uh, Franklin, Tennessee. Yeah. Just South of Nashville. How do you like, how do you like Tennessee? Oh yeah. I love it a lot actually. So when I was stationed at Fort Campbell for a few years and I was getting out of the military, I saw a job that was, you know, all we saw was Franklin, Tennessee. And Ooh, we love that place. And so that's actually the reason why I pursued that job was because of Franklin, Tennessee. So <laughs> oh, very cool. Oh yeah. Plus we don't have the income tax. That's really great as well. Oh, yeah, that's how we are in Nevada. Uh, we, we don't have to pay any income tax. State, state income tax. Yeah, state income tax. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, but, the, yeah. I'm the oddball out here. Yeah. Uh, Brian lives in, in uh, the communist country of California. Oh, yeah. Got to dodge those uh, poop on the street and the taxes, right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's out of control out here. I mean, that's a whole other show we could do. But it, it's it's just insane. But. But it's not my show. We'll talk about that another day. Um, so, all right. So let's talk about that. You got med boarded in the military. Now, what was your what was your uh, job that you jumped into after you, you left the military? Yeah. So um, I decided to um, talk with everyone. It was either I could be, you know, make something in like production, or you know, be sell something. And so I decided to do the sales route and uh, mm-hmm. work for a printing company um, selling labels, actually like pressure sensitive labels that go on products. Um, started that in. Uh, October or September of uh, 2014 and I actually did it for for six years and during that time I was slowly working the hot sauce angle as well just really back back burner Mm -hmm. and just getting everything lined up and it was just taking years heck I even had we decided to go with our name uh, dash 10 actually back in 2018 which I can go into how that came out because I was going to call it drumstick signature sauces Um, it sounded really cool because uh, you know chicken wings all that stuff but talk with some people uh they couldn't figure out if it was like a drum six hot sauce or drum six as in like drums right. and so um people who can't see i'm drumming my hands on the screen but uh <laughs> but uh yeah so we and then it turns out actually a place in chicago um it was actually called drum six was a restaurant called drum six and i was like oh that's not good 
And then they even had their own hot sauce and barbecue sauce. And I was like, oh, that's not good either. And actually they called it drumstick sauces. And I was like, okay. Eh. And so we decided we had to come up with a new name because I talked to a lawyer and I never got anything trademark. I never did anything, but I have a Facebook page. And so um, learn, you need to protect your name. And so that got us actually looking at what we should call ourselves moving forward and looking back at our roots of, you know, military being that for 11 and a half years total, um, we decided to kind of do, do the military route of naming and decided to name it Dash 10 um, in 2018. Okay. And what that's kind of derived from um, it, and, you know, Bing can probably tell you anything with a training manual in the military, you know, just say it'll say TM, a bunch of numbers, and usually always ends with a Dash 10. Um, to indicate that it's training someone how to use something. And in flight school, um, obviously we had a manual of how to operate the aircraft and we always called it Dash 10 for short. And I just remember all the time is, hey, where's your Dash 10? Got to have your Dash 10. Make sure you have your Dash 10. You have to have your Dash 10 and had to have it everywhere you went. You had to have it for all your classes. You legally had to have it when you flew, even though you're supposed to memorize it, but you still have to have it in case you need it. And so it was a requirement for you. So we decided to name our company Dash 10 after that, as in, you know, just like we even have a little thing that says just like a dash in operating manual is required for army aviators dash in hot sauce is, is required for your food and so as we came up with that name um, i love it didn't really launch it then either but came up with a new name when i realized my old one was bad even and i like the name a lot better now um even looking back comparing the two dash 10 is, is way better than drumsticks um great name for a band though if you want to come up with one but uh <laughs> but uh yeah so that was 2018 and then just moving forward slowly, come up with more recipes. Uh, we were trademarking all the names. I was even paying trademark fees because even though in 2018, I trademarked, you know, Dash 10 and my LLC I started. I was having to pay those re-up fees every six months because we trademarked a lot of the hot sauce names, like seven of them. And so every six months, since I wasn't using it, I had to pay a re-up fee for that, for that trademark you, on that hot sauce. And that can, you adds talk up. About, can you talk about that process a little bit? So you said you have to, you have to re-up every six months, your trademark. Is that, and you said if, because you weren't using it? Correct. Yeah. So um, I believe it's six months. If, if, if the trademark lawyer that I love, if he's listening and I can, I can plug him, but he's amazing. Um, if he's listening, sorry if I got the dates wrong, but yeah. So uh, I applied for an initial trademark on like dash 10 and out, like out front um, Sears, Omaha sauce, spike knock um, green machine, promotable, like applied for all those. They got approved, but I did it for an initial, I'm not using them currently, but I plan on using them. Here's what I plan on using them okay. for. And so every, I think it's every six months or so you go back and the trademark, you know, USTPO office will say, Hey, are you using this currently? Yes or no. And if you're not, you can file for an extension, but it's just another six month extension. You had to pay like almost a full price to get it six extended again for six months. And so um, but once you decide to move forward with it, then you have to show them proof that you're currently using it either through a website or pictures okay. of your product and then file uh, for, I can't remember the name of it, but essentially stating that you're now using it as intended, uh, like you said you were going to. And then you pay an actual fee for that as well. And then your trademark becomes active. Okay. So then is there, once you go active with it, with your name, is that a recurring fee to the trademark office or are you set? I'm not hundred percent sure on that. My okay. lawyer will definitely tell me when that is ready. <laughs> um, so, but uh, yeah, but I, I believe once you do that, it's no longer like a six month extension, every few okay. months extension. I want to say, I can't remember the exact fee on that. Please, please don't quote me and don't yeah, tell no, the lawyer. Don't get mad fine. at me. <laughs> no, I guess that's interesting. I, I, I didn't realize that was the case. So it almost seems like they're, uh, they're trying to prevent people just from trademarking everything. 
You know? Yeah. And I think, I think you can do the extension for a couple of years, actually. So if, if you had enough money, you could just trademark a bunch of stuff and keep extending it. Okay. Um, and that does prevent people from sitting on a trademark and they're not utilizing it like they're supposed to and what, and how they said they're going to use it. And, but it also prevents other people from actually filing a trademark because even though I have that trademark, it is searchable, but it's not an active trademark. And so if someone's coming behind me and actually start actively using it, that then I have to show is it can go back and forth. So hmm. you don't want to sit there in limbo forever with your, your name or right. what you're trying to trademark. Cause then you could have a chance of losing it. Um, if someone comes in and, and files for it and shows proof that they've been using it longer and vice versa. So this might be a, a dumb question, but if you were, if you didn't do that, let's say you just started a company, didn't get the trademark. Would you have any protection since you started the company? Let's say someone went to the trademark office and said, I want dash 10 as a trademark, even though you were already using it, but you didn't actually file. Is that something that could happen? Yeah. And actually that's happened plenty of times. Um, so that's why I know my, or my lawyer, Eric, he's very big about getting yourself trademark. So let's go back and like drumsticks, right? Where let's say I was using drumsticks or even the place in Chicago. Cause I think they, it was a poor trademark. So it's enough stuff, but, or let's say someone decides to use dash 10 and I'm selling in, in Tennessee as dash 10. And, but then someone goes in behind me and decides to trademark dash 10 and, the trademark office approves it. Well, now they're protected federally. So across the whole US, okay. they're protected. However, I can make the case of, well, I was using my name for, you know, let's say a year, because that's how long I've been in business. In the state of Tennessee, I would be protected for in the state of Tennessee with Dash 10, but I couldn't go outside of Tennessee with wow. Dash 10. So okay. like if I wanted to start shipping stuff or promoting my business elsewhere, I wouldn't be protected under Dash 10. Versus the other company is protected with a with a trademark. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to that federal because I would be protected statewide, but I wouldn't protect it federally. So that's when you get into yeah. That's why it's better just to if you have a great idea to a name to trademark it to protect right. it, so you don't have to worry about that. So the, the lesson here is if you have an idea, get a lawyer, get the trademark, do that ahead of time because someone else will probably take it from you if you're not careful. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean. And that's the crazy thing is once you trademark it too, people can see it. So you have to make sure you're not just going to sit on it for three yeah. years because then you lose your idea if you're trying to trademark an idea or patent an idea as well. Very cool. Very interesting. All right. So if you don't mind, let's let's backtrack a little bit. I'd like to kind of talk about, so you had, you bought the sauce from your mom. Yep. And what was it? I, obviously you were in the military still, so that's obviously a, a big commitment. But what was the, what was the biggest holdup? You know, what was, what was preventing you? I mean, outside of your military service, was there something else that was preventing you from, from moving forward with it, with the sauce? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a lot of stuff. Um, our goal was to start it while I was still active duty. Um, we just never did. And I think what was preventing me from doing it was honestly the nervousness of stepping out and doing it. And also, well, obviously time. Cause anyone <laughs> has a full-time job in the military knows it takes a lot of time, but also I, th I would think it's also being honestly, just being scared, right. like being scared to fail, being scared of that's, you know, starting something, spending all this money, which I was already spending. Cause I was buying bottles. I was buying, you know, peppers, sauces. I was sending stuff out to people to try. So, but I think it was more of a fear of failure. And then, um, like I said, even with my job here in Franklin that I had, it was steer, even I was working on it, and I'll start it one day. It was still a fear of actually just launching it and stepping out into the unknown of taking what you love and what you have in a good idea and truly seeing what people think about it outside of sending samples. Cause you send samples to people. Yeah. They'll love it. Cause they want more samples. But when you actually ask people to pay for it, <laughs> that's when you really know if they like it. Interesting. 
So just out of curiosity, I mean, how, how difficult is that? Because you're dealing with food. Um, how difficult of a process, process was that to, to manage? I mean, essentially food. I mean, that's a food product. So how, how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's, it's, it was a, it was kind of unique too, because uh, hot sauce is a very unique, different. Um, like most states had what's what they call cottage laws to where if, for example, grandma wants to make something sell at a farmer's market, right. uh, she can make that. However, hot sauce for most states do, do not fall into that. And it's actually a violation of the cottage law if you try to sell hot sauce that way. And so the really hard part um, I, that I learned is um, I did find a great forum about it, actually, um, that helped me a lot. But outside of that forum, there wasn't a whole lot of websites out there that says, hey, here's how you do a hot sauce and here's your steps. It was like, hey, if you want to start a hot sauce company, it's expensive. Don't do it. And it's not <laughs> worth it. Like that's the majority. And it's crazy because anytime I looked at breweries, because I worked a lot with breweries, there's a bunch of websites on, hey, if you want to start a brewery, here's your steps you need yeah. to take. And for hot sauce, it was like, here's the steps you shouldn't take because you lose all your money. And so <laughs> it was a lot of research on my own on how to do that. And um, so, but the way it says it's food, first thing you have to do is you have to develop a recipe, obviously. Um, then what you need to do is for most states, you have to get, actually I would say for all states, you have to get what's called a process authority, um, which means you send your stuff out to be tested in a lab to determine pH, how you cook it, it's not gonna hurt people and to get uh, your authority letter that says, hey, the way I cook it, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be damaged if someone decides to eat my food because it's a shelf stable product. And so that's why those products can sit on the shelf because the way I cooked it meets all these different regulations. And I have a piece of letter now that says I'm allowed to, to do that. Then what you have to do is based on your state. And I know with Tennessee, the what I had to do is once I got the process authority, I then went with our Tennessee agricultural department and um, went to them and said, hey, I want to actually start making this product. Um, so then I had to fill out a bunch more paperwork for them. Once again, describe my entire process from I walk in the door to I have a finished product on everything, all the steps I did. Um, once I did that, they approved it. I met with them at the kitchen that I rent space from because I can't make it at home. I have to right. rent a kitchen or own a kitchen and I don't have that much money. <laughs> and so go to there, they inspect you on how you do your process and they look at your paperwork, your process authority, everything else. Um, from there, I was able to start making hot sauce. Um, once I added the barbecue sauce though, and I added some other uh, hot sauces because they're formulated differently. Right. I then had to register my product with the FDA actually. And so oh, seriously, yeah. So, yeah. So I have like half my sauce registered the FDA and half, uh, I do not. Um, so, wait, so like, you said, I don't mean, I'm sorry, I interrupted, but you yeah. said the, the hot sauce wasn't FDA registered, but the barbecue sauce was, is it that I hear that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's how you make it. So you have what's called acidified and formulated acidified and I'm forgetting which one's which right now, uh, which is bad. But um, so one means like if it's acidified, um, which means the product and how it's made is unique enough to where the, the acid is safe and how I cook, it's not going to hurt. So the formulated acidified, unless I mix those up and someone's going to bash me if I did, um, the formulated acidified means that there's a lot more, more fresher ingredients that have a higher pH. And so it's more controlled. And because of that, I have to register with the FDA as a food producer. And then also had to go back to Tennessee agriculture and get recertified with them. And also I had to take a $300, uh, I think it was 350 class on processed food handling, like the appropriate way to process and handle food. Even though my cooking was the same as before right. now, because I added barbecue sauce and added some other, my hotter sauces, I then had to go through these extra hoops and pay more money essentially. 
are you able to do all this? I mean, I know the trademark stuff requires an attorney generally or, or some sort of online attorney, right? But for all these things that you're talking about registering um, with these different uh, agencies, were you able to do that yourself or did you have to hire somebody to do it? Yeah, so I did it all myself. Um, the trademark you can do yourself. It's just easier with an attorney because they can write all these nice papers. Yeah, they, couple, they yeah. do the jargon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah which I had yeah. to do for a couple of mine. Um, but for this stuff, you can you can you can hire an attorney. They actually have people who actually do this for a living. Uh, they charge quite a bit because I looked into it and I didn't have the money <laughs> to pay for it. So I, I actually did it all myself. Um, and going through the requirements, uh, my process authority, who's the the uh, company I used to get my authority letter, he helped me quite a bit actually with the FDA. He actually sat me down uh, on a Zoom call and we walked through the steps on how to register my product with the FDA because I was having trouble. So they helped me out with that. Um, but everything else, so I, ha- I had to do myself and a lot of late nights and trying to figure that out when you're right. working a, a full-time right. job as well and but, kids. But it can be done though. I mean, that, that that's why I asked you for our yeah. listeners that are maybe thinking about starting a similar company, like don't get caught up in the, um, you know, when you're starting a business and you go to, you know, when you go to legal zoom and you try to get your LLC filed, right. They, right. they try to get you to hire them for everything. So I, here's a real life example or example listeners of somebody that took the time to educate himself on the, on the processes. And, and yeah, it's like pulling teeth a little bit, but you can save money. Oh, yeah. uh, you could learn, right. You know, the ins and outs of it. You may not have it memorized, but you know, you can navigate that. Right. Yeah. And that's, yeah for somebody starting a business, the more you can teach yourself about every little aspect of getting a, you know, your, your, state tax forms and your, you know, how do I charge tax and how do I run a website and how to, you know, you don't want to get, it's such a fine balance. Brian and I talk about this all the time. Like, what do you hire other people to do? What do you pay through an app or a website or something for somebody else to handle? Um, But I think both of us agree that, you know, the more you can educate yourself on all these little aspects, like, you know, you understand the ins and outs of this to, to a point, right? Right. But you understand the ins and outs and the little minutia of getting this set up and and the difficulty it takes to get there. Um, so you probably appreciate every single bottle that goes out with whatever stamp you're approved <laughs> for. And, you know, right. um, you know, it's just a grind, you know, and, and I mean, and I, in your, in your, you know, in your five minute stint there, you, you, you touched a lot of things. One, it's a grind to start a business in particular. It sounds like, you know, I've never tried to start a sauce business, but it sounds like there's a little bit more in depth than, Hey, I have an LLC. Let's make some sauce. Um, but also you talked about being scared, right? Like it, I, and I go through it. I went through this exact same thing with Maudus. You know, I came up with the idea for Maudus you know, umpteen years ago. And then I wrote it down on a piece of paper and then I was too busy. And then, you know, and then I had a t-shirt design and I put one online, but then, you know, you gotta, you gotta embrace the grind and you gotta take the time to learn the ins and outs of whatever the idea is, you know, you have to make it work. Nobody's going to do it for you. So I, I applaud you for that, that, you know, probably some of the most difficult, you know, uh, paperwork and just red tape crap, you sat down and you learned it, you taught yourself and you, and you, you accomplished the mission. So, you know, for the listeners out there, you know, listen to this example and, 
and take heed, you know, learn a little bit. Oh yeah. And, and also I'd say reach out to other people too, because there were some hot sauce companies that helped me along the way, like choosing the right bottles and, you know, the sauce market is, is not huge, huge, especially for small batch and definitely for veteran hot sauces. <laughs> there's not a lot of us out there. And so there's, there's been quite a few that helped me and I've, I've actually helped out quite a bit of people uh, that are starting a hot sauce company that have reached out. And even though with ones, even my own backyard that are going to be Nashville, like I, I want to be that to help other people. Cause I know how to, how much of a struggle it was for me to find anything on, you know, on the internet. And so I've helped out quite a few people on, Hey, here's what helped me. And Hey, here's the forms that I, that they asked for when I went to apply for to the, you know, the license and the, the approval to do this. And Hey, here's my forms, just trade out my name versus your name. Cause all the stuff inside is going to be the same. Dude, what you're talking about right there is called the veteran network, right? Like, <laughs> and, it, and it's not completely unique to veteran companies, but as Brian and I have navigated and, and you know, grown this podcast and interviewed a, a lot of veteran companies from different walks of, of business, I, I think it's, it's somewhat unique to the veteran community that guys don't hate on each other. You know, if, if you're a, a veteran hot sauce company and another veteran startup guy reaches out to you, I would bet that, you know, 999 times out of a thousand, that guy's willing to help and do whatever right. he can to network. And, and, you know, so reach out to your buddies. I mean, Brian hits it all the time that, you know, networking in our community is huge. Like mm -hmm. we're all wanting to help each other. Um, you know, it's how Brian and I met, you know, yeah. he picked up the phone and, and, and text me and said, Hey man, I'm Brian. This is what I want to do. What do you, <laughs> you know, I mean, literally that's how we met and we've developed, you know, a great relationship. And we have this fun podcast. We're getting to meet all these people just from him picking up the phone and trying to network, you know? Oh yeah. But it's, that's, that's true of anything really. I mean, not just business. I mean, it, I think every job that I've ever had that I was excited to get was through networking almost, you know, <laughs> I think the more you talk to people, the more you get out there, the more you put yourself out there. I think regardless of what you're trying to do, it, it's, you can't do it in a selfish way. Don't get me wrong, but oh, yeah. I think if you're really putting that good, I don't want to sound hippy dippy, but you're putting that good energy out there. It, it's, if you really have the goal to help people and want to make the world a better place, it all goes around and it, it it's it's always awesome to see and you know like ben said a little bit you know when i started this i didn't really have the intention of doing a veteran focused you know podcast but it's amazing how it kind of turned into that you know we will we'll talk to anybody you don't have to be a veteran but it, it really is incredible to see the veteran community just hey talk to this guy talk to this guy and everyone we reach out to oh yeah i'll, I'll come on the show i mean i i think it's rare that we get we get turned down you know most people respond most people are happy uh, to come on the show. And I think a lot of the guests we've had, you know, they're, to be honest, they're probably bigger than our show, but you know, a lot of them are, have been veterans and they're, they're real happy to, to be here. So I, I really, for anyone out there that's listening, please, if you're trying to do something, do anything, talk to people, get out there. You're not going to, you're not going to hit a home run every time, but oh, yeah. you, you got to take, you got to take that swing and it, it'll pay off. So that's just my word of advice. <laughs> oh yeah. There's always people that are turning it down, but there's more than not people that want to help. Yeah. I mean, there's, 100%. And there's a, yeah. There's enough stuff out there. There's enough people buying food that, you know, for business to go around. I, and I rather support other people and get their dream started. Even, even if let's say my dash 10 dream fades and goes away and I'd rather be able to support someone else that if theirs takes off in the heck, that's, 
that's even better because it you know helps me feel great that I was able to help get them started and launched. And if they do, if they're more successful than me, then great. And if they're not, then we can go to you know walk hand in hand together and you know arm in arm and you know tackle this stuff together. Dude, so at the gun show this weekend up in Salt Lake, we walk in, we're getting ready to unload and set up our tables. And uh, this guy walks up. So if anybody's been to a gun show, you kind of, you have a kind of aisles, right? And then the tables are kind of side by side. <laughs> that's where, wait, a gun show is where they just give out free guns, no questions asked, right? That's how <laughs> it works. No, well, you go there and you don't sign any paperwork and you don't do it. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, loophole, loophole. <laughs> so the, uh, it's where you get all your high capacity magazines and uh and uh assault rifles but uh the guy so the table behind us this guy walks in and he starts unpacking t-shirts and i'm like i look at my wife and i'm like i look around we kind of walked around there's two t-shirt dealers in the whole gun show and they put them on tables next to each other (laughs) right and i'm like i'm like seriously like who planned this right like like and so we start talking to guy come to find out he's uh he's a 11 bang bang infantry guy in the Oregon national guard just started a t-shirt brand. And it's a very patriotic, uh, he, he said, he would say it's like patriotic meets outdoorsy. So he had these like really cool, um, like sayings, you know, um, you know, like, uh, I can't even think off the top of my head, but, um, and so we just start chatting and he had a ton of questions for us. He's been in business eight weeks and he had a ton of questions about, you know, how do you find, you know, where do you get your blanks and how, you know, what's the average number of this? And, and we were glad to help him. And we sat there and by the end of the, the, the second day, we were cross selling our products. I mean, we were both selling t-shirts, but they're completely different. Yeah. And we were cross selling. We were standing over here. I, you know, we've invited him to come on the show, um, you know, and, and he, he has some connections to some, some big names in our community. And uh, you know, but it, I mean, to, the whole point of that senseless rambling was, is that it wasn't my wife and I didn't sit there and go at first we did go seriously, but you know, once we got to know the guy, we weren't like, well, we can't tell you these little secret trade secrets. No, we're still a young startup company. How can we help you? You know, how can I help you figure this out? How can I, you know, here's some advice, you know, kind of things. And it just, you know, I just think if you try to hold that stuff, close to the vest and be a greedy jerk um you know whether you believe in karma or not i think that comes back to bite you at some point you know i think our our whole you know our whole world right now is it's just you know my wife i mean i i love to tell stories but my i walked in the door today from from the office and Lindsay says, gosh, I was at the grocery store and, and our 11 year old was pushing the cart and kind of wasn't paying attention. And some lady, I guess, like kind of screamed at him, like, you know, oh, am I in your way? You know, ah, and it's like, what are we coming to that? You're in the grocery. Are you in that much of a hurry at the grocery store that you don't have time to say, excuse me, or wait 20 seconds until he sees you that you're, you know, yeah. and, and then you have the cojones to yell at an 11 year old like where are we at today that the world is just unwilling to help people unwilling to be a kind neighbor it's 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 crazy right now we're getting way off topic i'm yeah. sorry but oh, good. Well, hey my, my car got keyed today at the doctor's office that's what my kids do for some reason uh, I, don't, I don't know my van just big long street now either could be that or when my kids took a car and did it 
it, but appeared out of nowhere after the daughter's appointment. So. Wait, wait. First, we got to talk about the fact that you're driving a van. What, hey, what man. I- yeah, I drive a, well, Mike, so I have, we have two different cars. One's a Toyota Sequoia, a 2001 that All I just right. recently got. That I That's my main transportation that I drive. But also we have a, a, a Toyota, a, a, not Sequoia, a, the minivan Toyota. I forgot the name uh, of it. Sienna. Sienna, thank you. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I have, I have five kids. And so they, they all fit in there currently. So. No excuse, sir. No excuse. <laughs> hey, I, it's funny when I used to, when I traveled a lot with my, like I said, my last job, um, actually, I got at the airport, I would actually grab the minivans. Like they sit up high, people avoid you for some reason on the highway. <laughs> Just I, I, all this freedom. I will be honest with you. I have rented a minivan for that very purpose. Like it's just comfortable. It just drives nice. Oh, yeah. you know? drives I nice. went on, I went on a business trip without kids. I was on a business trip one time for insurance in uh, Orlando, Florida. And I was with another two guys and I was like, Hey, let's rent the van. Like, let's go drive. <laughs> We're driving the van around Orlando, Florida. But uh, oh, yeah. so we, we skipped over some of this. Let's talk about your passion for this uh, uh, for the Kiowa warrior. Yeah. I know we got some listeners out there that know what we're talking about, number one. But um, so the Kiowa, uh, what movie? Um, didn't Black Hawk Down have some Kiowas in it? I think those had, I think Black Hawk Down had mostly little birds in it. I oh, it did. Have I, have, I haven't seen it in years, but I think they had little birds. I think more like a lot of the Vietnam era type movies had some old Alpha Chucks in it. The um, old ones, yeah. With yeah. The- and then. There were some other ones like there was the one with Nicolas Cage when he was like going through flight school as an Apache guy. What was that? Oh, one? yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I can't remember. Wait, that that's, was a, is that the dude. one where he had he was like right eye dominant and he had to put a plastic bag over yeah, his head? Yeah, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones was in that movie. Ah, oh, what was that? We watched it in flight school, made fun of it, but it's you know, it's, it's what it's the movie we get. <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna Google eyes it. Keep talking, but the um, the so for our listeners out there that don't know what a Kiowa warrior is, OH 58 helicopter, it's, it's a smaller helicopter, but generally used historically as a, a scout support, like a reconnaissance support helicopter, had different iterations, m- model numbers with different pieces of equipment. But um, so now you, Dave, you you went from the unarmed, were you in the transition from the unarmed model to the to the armed model in the desert oh no so of- yes so whenever i went through fly school after we did our initial training with the th 7 which is like a, a another bell ranger helicopter and then uh we chose your aircraft and then i went straight into the oh 58 d uh with that and so it was um so when it, so i'm fully trained on that so when i got to my first unit that's the helicopter we had was actually already the delta model by the time i went through okay okay yeah and, and the it, del- Delta's with the guns. Yeah, yeah. Delta, yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's armed scout reconnaissance is what they started calling it to where it's uh, uh, for self-defense or defense of others. So it would never be like as part of an attack where you're going to go blow something up that you know. It's more of a self-defense for yourself or like a troops in contact or a tick. Um, that's uh, what they were used for. What kind of armament did the D model have, the Delta model? Yeah, so we had a 50 cal. You can do essentially Hellfire, Rocket, or 50 cal in any of those combinations. So if you had a, you can do Rocket, 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 Hellfire, 50 okay. cal, Rocket, 50 cal, Hellfire. Um, whenever I was in Afghanistan, though, we, we more just did either Rocket, Rocket, or 50 cal, Rocket. Um, just too much weight with the Hellfires, and it just didn't do as much that you needed to do um, for self-defense. Okay, so the Rocket would be the... Uh... Just for the listeners, and for me too, but the rockets are the uh, 
kind of the cylinder, right? That has multiple. Yeah, yeah, it's, okay. it's, yeah. It's like a two point seven five inch rocket, okay. and so essentially it was like two point seven five inches around, and the length was probably my arm span length that okay. you can carry one. So it's probably about. Uh, Man, my warrant officer's gonna kill me about uh, three, three, four feet, maybe. Okay. Was the length? Now, I did just watch Delta Force, the Chuck Norris, and my understanding <laughs> of helicopter armaments is that you never run dry, and that you have an unlimited supply of both bullets and rockets and missiles. So, I'm assuming you had the same system on your helicopter where you just fire randomly, and you know you didn't have to aim, and you never ran out of bullets. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Never, you never ran out. It's just like when someone's shooting in uh, bank robberies, they never have to reload uh, their magazine or drop anything. It's just constant shooting. <laughs> and then not nah, we, uh, I mean, obviously we're limited, especially with weight. And so right. based on if a pilots are skinnier, you can sometimes carry more 50 cal. Uh, if the pilots weren't as skinny, then uh, you're very limited on your 50 cal and the rockets, uh, I, think, I believe it was an eight rocket pod um, yeah. that you had. So that was what your limit was as well. And then but we, you know, we refueled quite a bit in Afghanistan and did an active uh, quick, um, you know, reloads whenever we did have troops in contact. Mm -hmm. And so those guys were, uh, our FARC guys were amazing and how fast they could load. I mean, I, I would, whenever it wasn't anything important, I would go out and to, you know, just to learn it and to, to do it with them. And it would take me forever just to load one without trying to blow myself up. Uh, those guys, uh, gosh, could load it and, you know, could load all eight and reload in just no time at all and have you back off the ground. Awesome. Almost like almost like a NASCAR pit crew. Yeah. Exactly, right. exactly like it, except if someone messes up, you go boom. So yeah. Firebirds. Oh, Firebirds, yes. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones, Nicholas Cage. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great corny movie. Great year. Great yeah, year. It's a great corny movie. So <laughs> the fact that Nicholas Cage was doing movies in 1990 and he's still coming out with B-rated movies is insane. We're getting old. Yeah, it was well, movies now are non-speaking mostly. So <laughs> yeah, he he lives here in Las Vegas or has a house here in Las Vegas. And so we run into him. Um, he has a restaurant here he likes a ton. Uh, it's called Vintner Grill. Great restaurant. It's kind of bougie, but it's a yeah. really it's a really good spot. And he eats, you'll see him there all the time, like eating, um, usually having meetings, and he'll he, he'll talk to you when he's not eating. Yeah, like, like he, when he's eating, they kind of put him over in the corner, and, and I've seen him kind of, you know what? I'm I'm eating. Let me finish up yeah. here, and I'll come talk to you. But I've talked to him a couple times, just waiting to get a table. My my old office was upstairs in the same building, so we would have business lunches there, and he he would be down there. Nice guy. He's oh, yeah. seems like a very approachable person, like a down yeah, not hundred percent, hundred percent. Nicholas Cage is is a good dude. Well, I don't know why he hasn't been on the show yet, then. Since you know him so <laughs> Oh, I don't. No, no, don't, don't, don't take that the wrong way. I, I just, you know, hey, how's it going? I really liked you in uh, Gone with sixty seconds or whatever. Sure. You know, it's like here's here's know. here's some hot sauce. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I did like uh, what was the one where he was the ranger uh, on the airplane? Um, Con Air was Con Air. Cool. Yep. Yeah, uh, I, I saw that again recently. Actually, and he was, yeah. he was a ranger. Yeah, he was. That's why he went to jail because he was considered. Uh, Lethal weapons. A lethal weapon because he got in the bar fight. Yeah, the guy pulled a knife on him, uh, sliced him up, and he defended himself with his bare hands and still went to jail, which is doesn't yeah, seem the, like kind of unlikey. But yeah, the he had judge, a horrible lawyer. <laughs> yeah, the judge said, "Well, because of your army training, you considered deadly weapons. Your hands are so you're going That's to jail." Right. That's right. Yeah, that was that was a good movie. The uh, the the treasure hunter ones were good too, but 
Yeah, it's oh gosh. I tried to watch one the other day. Actually, I watch a ton of movies while I'm riding a bike in the morning, and and I was trying to watch like a Hulu movie the other day where he's like a ninja or something, and it just I couldn't make it ten minutes into the movie. It was bad. It was bad. <laughs> like I saw one recently where he's a uh, is a not a knockoff, but almost like Five Nights at Freddy, uh, where he's like oh. if he's uh, he's cleaning up this uh, the pizzeria place. Um, yeah, it's 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 actually it's it's actually it's a crazy movie but it's it's not it's not it's, it's a decent movie not as bad as you would think um and he actually doesn't say much in the movie but actually does a pretty good role of beating the crap out of robots <laughs> i can't remember the name of that one anyway we'll have to get him on the show so mr cage if you're listening you're welcome <laughs> to come on we'd love to talk about your career um you got to make out with meg ryan uh in that one the city of angels so we'd love to hear about that so if you're listening come on all right well i'm sure he'll, um, i've got my phone here in front of me so i'm sure we'll be it'll be ringing here shortly so. hey just t- tell them to send us some hot sauce and barbecue sauce and there there you go yeah, we'll, we'll send them some so so when they uh they started to fade out those helicopters right like they're gone now right active duty yeah they're, yeah they're gone active duty uh some national guard still has those helicopters uh i know like i like i said i'm medically retired in 2014 i want to say 2016, 2017 uh, is when they started transitioning them out and then started tiring entire fleets and brought up the National Guard Apaches to take take over. And then some National Guard still have some older models as well. Yeah, the, uh, the Apache is an amazing um, piece of equipment, but I agree with you. We were talking before we started recording that, you know, that the, the Kiowas could get low and give you a platform of noise and a platform of, you know, where you, where you, you could, you know, you were explaining how the pilots can see underneath them without having to be 1100 feet in the air, you know, just yep. the design of the helicopter, you know, oh, yeah. you could, you could open the door and look, you know, and, oh, okay, there's our guys, there's the bad guys, you know, let's, let's get the mission done. But yeah. And 99% of the time we flew with doors off, um, especially, oh. especially deployed. So we didn't fly with doors on at all. Uh, oh that's cool yeah so you can actually like peer out the window and look underneath and you know uh, see quite quite a bit of stuff with that how many times did you deploy um just once actually um so like i said i deployed with uh 217 uh out of fort campbell and then whenever i went up to joint base Lewis mccord um i was attached to first special forces group uh, up there and uh was potentially going to deploy with them uh we determined that if i was going to be promoted uh in line with my peers that I need to take command uh, pretty quickly. So it's, if I deployed with them, um, which we were gearing up to do, it would have, I would have missed essentially my promotional zone up yeah. to major because I would have had a command in time. Because by the time I got back and I started my command about four months into commands when the promotion board would have gone uh, for that. And so I transitioned from them over to four, six ARS um, over there. And then that's when, when I started getting a waiver from my back is when they discovered a bunch of stuff and literally I was getting ready to take command of HHT, HHT out of 4-6, um, which is the headquarters, headquarters troop. And um, literally, it was supposed to start my inventories Monday. And that f- Tuesday, Wednesday, when they decided, hey, we might med board you. And then Friday is when they decided that, you know what, I think you're going to have to wait uh, for that. Maybe go to brigade. I was going to deploy to Korea with 4-6, go to brigade uh, with 16 cab and maybe get a waiver. And then like the week later, it's like, ah, we're not, we're not doing that. We're just going to, you know, complete the med board on you. So. <laughs> yeah. 
Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, that whole thing for officers is a little tougher. I mean, NCOs have to get rated time. You know, I, I had to get rated time as a section sergeant and as a platoon sergeant. But those time windows for for commissioned officers is is a little bit more stringent, you know, like where you, if you're not if you know your peers will leave you behind if you're not oh, yeah. meeting those milestones. So heck yeah. And if you if you miss a I think it's two promotional zones. Uh, once you hit your primary, if you miss that and then you miss one or two more, then you're pretty much, they, you know, dismiss you from the military. Yeah. My dad was a pilot in the air force and he flew a um, C-141 cargo plane um, that they transitioned out kind of during his mid, his career. And, and because of that, he didn't get trained on like the new C-17 or, or C-5 or something like that. So he missed that zone. You know, and so he, and he never got a command. So he's a major, but he never got that command time. So he had to transition. They had to send him back to school. And it, and I don't think he regrets. I think he missed flying, but it, it ended up working out for him. But yeah, that same kind of thing where if you're, hey, we trained you to do this, but we no longer have these planes. Now, what are you going to do? And he kind of yeah. fell in that window. Same kind of thing. He missed a, you know, wing command kind of thing. So, um, but yeah. it's kind of kind of weird that the not weird i guess but the military sometimes just doesn't care about the individual right yeah and it's, it's sometimes it's a, like you said it's the timing depends on when you graduate like for officer like for you know people that flew helicopters for officers you know it all depends on timing when you graduate flight school of when you what you, you go to and how many officers they have if you go staff first versus line troop first and that all to, can determine the rest of your path just all based off you know roll of the dice yeah, I had a lieutenant one time in um, in a scout platoon. He came in, uh, second lieutenant, came into scout platoon. And, you know, and then when they got on the ground side, if you got promoted to first lieutenant, you needed to be like the, the troop XO or you needed to like, you know, move to a different platoon and get a different, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. And I had a guy one time that he didn't care. He was like, I'm staying at the platoon level. And he, he was our platoon leader for uh, about 18 months, which is oh, un wow. very, very unusual, very unusual. We went through his, um, his first lieutenant promotion and he didn't move on. He, he said, I, you know what? I don't really care. I'm, I'm not, st I, I think, I think he wasn't planning on a 20 year career anyway, right. but, but he was like, no, nah, I'm staying, I'm staying in the platoon with the fellas. So we had the same <laughs> platoon leader uh, for about 18 months one time. And it was, it's very unusual. So it's kind of cool. It, it, oh, yeah. it was good for us because we got to learn how to work with him. We knew what he wanted, he, how he wanted it, you know, yep. when he wanted it. Um, and it was a lot easier for the, for the NCOs to maneuver inside the platoon, but yeah, it's, it's a different, uh, those career paths and milestones is interesting, you know, and it's different for every branch and, you know, especially pilots, right. You got all these different, if you're not flying, you're, dying kind of thing yeah. so if you're not flying you're crying i guess yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i was a, when i came out of fly school i was a captain when i came out of fly school really so, or sorry no i was right was right yeah i was so i was uh oh, i was not a captain i was a first lieutenant and then got promoted within a i want to say four or five months of being in my, in my platoon literally, literally got promoted to captain in my platoon and then got pulled up to staff a few months later oh I'd so yeah, so pissed. came out of came out of flight school with, as a first lieutenant. Sorry, not captain, but first lieutenant because of took two and a half takes two and a half years to go through flight school. Yeah, right, right. And I spent a few months um, doing college, you know, gold bar recruiting at my college to get some other people to join. <laughs> That's perfect.
So where can we find Dash 10? Yeah, so um, you can, uh, on my website, uh, dash10sauce.com, uh, spelled out uh, D-A-S-H-1-0, uh, sauce.com. On the website, if you're here locally in Nashville, I'm, I'm at a few stores uh, that are here locally. Uh, nothing national yet, but mostly selling on websites and then uh, different random markets that I'm at um, that I'm selling with. That's cool. So, I'm curious, how difficult was it to go from your, your small batch to being in, in retail stores? Was that a, a big or a difficult transition? Yeah, so I'm actually still making everything myself. Uh, there's a couple that um, that I've had a co-packer make for me that, that, were, that I thought was going to like they want an entire pallet uh, worth of sauce. And so usually what happens with uh, sauce companies is as they're small batch making like a few gallons at a time, mm-hmm. as they're growing and they're getting more into like the larger retailer space, they either have to make a decision on if they're going to, you know, buy a lot of equipment in order to up their, um, you know, quantity and how, how much they're producing at a time, or if they're going to go with a co-packer and they're going to go through a co-packer and some hot sauce companies go straight to a co-packer as soon as they even start. Mm. Um, but a lot of them start small batch, making themselves start doing like, you know, a few gallons at a time. And then once they get big, they have to go with a co-packer just because they can't keep up with demand if, you know, big chain picks them up. Right. And so with a couple of the stores that I'm in, I'm able to keep up with demand currently um, with making it. So I make it right now in five gallons at a time is my batch size. So I get about, um, cause I and also sell them in eight ounce bottles too, uh, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, but like most hot sauce companies, you know, uh, do five ounce bottles. Um, I do eight ounce bottles. Uh, there's, they're more fatter, so they're shorter, but I promise you there are eight ounces in there. And, um, and so, uh, because of that, it's a little different. So I get out of a five gallon batch, I would probably get between 70 and 80 bottles out of each batch. Okay. And so, um, and then I also have like these little 1.7 ounce bottles, like a, almost like a mini fridge. If you go in, you know, little, little shot of, of, of juice you got there. And so, uh, with those, um, if I can make those plus my eight ounce bottles at the same time, then I even only get like 60 bottles out of my, uh, eight ounce bottles. So mm. and if I was to do a five ounce, you know, bottle, I could probably get over a hundred with each batch, but with my, when I'm way I'm making it currently, I'll get about 70. Sure. <laughs> So, what, uh, well, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I'm just curious at what point, um, how big would you have to get for you for it to be worth it to go to buy your own equipment just to open your own, you know, like actual production line factory? That oh, very shiny. Yeah. Yeah. The, the expense of it, and some, some people have done it. There's other, I mean, I've seen I have a great friend of mine, uh, 13 Hot Sauce. Uh, he, he, he's a veteran hot sauce company as well. He's actually doing that way where he's uh, still manufacturing himself for everything that I've seen. And he's uh, getting equipment, and but he's just slowly doing it. And so I think if you're going to go out and do it huge and do like, hey, I have a massive production facility, you'd have to be in enough stores and have enough demand already that you're following up on in order to pay for that equipment. Right. And most of them have to, you know, borrow the money for that, which I'm trying to avoid is do it slowly and not going to debt at all. Um, but if you look at some uh, like Truff Hot Sauce, um, they're a big one up in Canada. They you know, they show how case how fast they grew. Um, and there's in the hot sauce community, there, people love them or people hate them um, for them. Uh, but, you know, they grew pretty big, pretty quick uh, based off their demand. And so and I've seen other people, though, that, you know, that they keep small batches and then they get picked up, you know, like hot ones uh, with Sean Evans, which, hey, Sean, if you're listening, I'd love to send you some sauce to be on hot ones, man. Let me know um, who, who I got to send it to. But, you know, like when they get picked up by, with them. Um, a lot of times these smaller batch guys, uh, what we have to do is usually go with a co-packer just because 
the demand of how much they want to buy at first, you know, it would take you months and months to do it versus a co-packer can do it in one batch. Interesting. I don't know if I answered your question, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, you did. Yeah. yeah it's, it's interesting. Hang on. Yeah, no, totally fine. It's, it's kind of neat to hear the uh, behind the scenes uh, inside baseball stuff. So I appreciate it's always that. It's always a fine balance, right? Like when, as you're trying to scale, <laughs> you know, going from especially in the kind of product you're making right like we're we're for you to manufacture large scale like your goal probably is to be in you know i want to be in as many retail stores as possible but right. to go from small batch to that is such a fine balance of like you said debt versus equipment versus the relationship with the co-packer because because from everything i understand a co-packer you know it's on the t-shirt side it's like a fulfillment center right yep. where where we you know, instead of us doing the packaging and the shipping and having that personal touch, we've got a big warehouse somewhere that just houses our stuff and fulfills all our orders. Right. Very similar to what you're talking about, where, yes, I want, uh, you know, grocery store A, B, and C to order 10,000 units, uh, you know, every six months. But, you know, when, how do I do that? Do I give up money? Do I give up control? Yeah. to a co-packer or do I invest in some equipment hoping that I maintain that, that level. And then at what point are you to, you know, do you get to the point where maybe somebody comes in and buys you, you know, and then, yeah, yeah I, I, gosh, man, it's such a, you know, such a world there in that food industry where it's, it's such a fine balance. Oh yeah. Too. And it's, and it's plus too. Cause I know like some of the sauce, the way I make them co-packers don't like how I make it. And so uh, I have to, I'd have to re, engineer my recipes in order to fit better with their equipment and how they do it. and because my bottle is an eight ounce stout i've looked at some co-packers who said hey we don't we don't work with that bottle at all and they don't like it because it has to change all the equipment because the difference is fatter so it's shorter it's wide mouth versus you know the small mouth of five ounce and so i've had co-packers who straight up tell me when i was talking to them like at we don't we don't work with that bottle so it's it's one of those tugs and because I want to be unique. So that's why I do eight ounce styles. And there's, a, there's actually yeah. three or four of us right now that have eight ounce stout hot sauce bottles now, um, but still nowhere near like the five ounce. And so it's just education for consumers as well. Cause when they see it on the store, it looks shorter. So they, they psychologically think, Oh, there's less, even though it's more. So why is it more expensive? And versus the five ounce. And so you get all that, like you said, education on, all right. And then look into, is it worth going to a co-packer at this point or, I want to maintain control. So I know it's, Hey, I make it, but I now have to buy all this equipment in order to keep up. So at some point you're going to have to lose um, control, get into a co-pack or, you know, buy more equipment and get some investors in. Then you yeah. the investors, you lose control of some of your company. Yeah. I was going to say, every time I, I hear anything about, you know, in the food industry, especially on that co-packing end where you may have to compromise on, like, like you said, your unique bottle, right. Or, or the something in your recipe where it's not quite exactly what, you know, to just to get the co-packer to fulfill a 10,000 unit order so that you can make more money and grow your business, but you got to compromise a little bit, right. In one of those areas. And it's, it's, it's a fine balance. It's like, I, I mean, I don't know the answer. You probably don't know the answer. You know, I mean, at some point there's a dollar amount that's your answer, right. Is it yeah. worth it or not? But, <laughs> but you know, it's a, it's a tough business. And I think, you know, and then the space you're trying to get into is a tough business. You know, oh, yeah. that, that shelf business in the grocery store is tough. That's a competitive, competitive market. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I've recently learned too, especially with the, the 
higher end retail or you know, multi-chain retail, a lot of those guys buy their shelf space and I don't have, I don't have the money to buy shelf space. And so I got to convince a small store. Like, so I have, I'm in like three or four local stores, which is great and love working with them. Um, but if I ever want to get into like a, you know, Whole Foods or Publix or Kroger or anything like that, then I got to look at, you know, changing my price structure in order to get the price down where people are used to buying from that store. And I don't want to be on the very, very bottom. I want to be closer to eye level, which then you got to, you got to buy that shelf space. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. That's, that's a whole, a whole different show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You go into a lot more detail about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. If Mr. Wonderful's listening uh, from Shark Tank, we'd love to have you on to talk about how that retail space would help uh, some of our guests and listeners. So Mr. Wonderful, again, if you're listening, we'd love to talk to you. That's right. Or hot sauce. You want to talk about hot sauce? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mr. Wonderful, uh, I'm sure Dave yeah. would take, uh, uh, he'd like to give you 15% of his company for uh, <laughs> not much. <laughs> for uh, half a million bucks. Or that's I don't right. Know. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I've actually watched a lot of Shark Tanks. I've had people go, hey, you should go on Shark Tank because XYZ. And I'm like, have you guys seen sauce companies go on Shark Tank? Like, you have to have your numbers tight oh, and you have to gotta know- be tight. And you can't just be like, I have an idea. I've only been in business for three months or a year and I've only sold 20 grand worth of stuff. They're going to look at you like you, there's nothing about you that's unique, especially food. Like, you know, nothing I have is proprietary except for my recipe, but there's a lot of us out there. So unless you have a, an amazing story they latch onto, which I feel like I have a great story, but you know, if you don't have that story that people are going to buy into a huge amount of, then you need to have your stuff on tight and not be like, well, I just came up with an idea and I've never sold anything, but here's what we project. And you're trying to pitch the sharks because they're just going to nowadays, yeah. especially they're just going to chew you up and spit you off because they've, they've been doing it so long. Yeah. I think you have a good story. I think you have a good product. Um, and I think, you know, but you're right. I, you know, for them to invest in a company like yours, you got to be on point. Like yeah. they got to see the value, um, you know, and for our listeners, it's a good point. I mean, I, look, I'm not, I'm not Mark Cuban or any of those guys, but you know, I've done some sales pitches on a business end and sold a business or two. And, you know, you, you generally have to have those numbers on point and be able to show the person sitting across from you um, where the value is. That's what it is, right? Whether you're buying, selling, uh, investing, whatever it is, where's the value? Like what's the value proposition in the return on investment, right? And you don't have to be a economics major or a business major to, you know, you can be a street smart guy that if you can show the other person, whoever you're talking to, you know, here's the value, here's your return on investment for whatever goal you have to, what you know, to build whatever you're building, I think you can make it work, but you have to show those things. It's a great point. Oh, yeah. It's funny when I watch it, people go like, I have an idea and I've never sold anything. It's like, oh, yeah. Why, why, yeah. why are you there? You're way too early, man. You're way too yeah. early. I love the show, but you can tell. Yeah. If you've watched more than one season of it, you can tell the guy that walks in there and goes, I mean, unless you have the million dollar idea. Right. And a patent for that idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they, they don't want to hear the, well, what's your sales? Uh, we're, we're pre-selling. That's the worst one, right? We're pre-selling. Yeah. Pre-selling. Our friends and family love it. I'm like, yeah, they love it because they're fans of you, but you know, yeah, JoJo yeah. down the street might not like you guys. <laughs> you think some of those people get on the Shark Tank though, they know they're going to fall on their face, but they're just using it as a way to get in front of millions of people. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I, I saw an episode where a guy actually said that. And they're like, you don't want to sell. I was like, no, I just came here for exposure. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and they still aired their show. <laughs> yeah. It gets ratings. 
Yeah. Yeah, he does. So, hey, man, so we ask all of our, uh, you know, all of our guests, um, if they could give one piece of advice to our listeners about, um, you know, our listeners are generally people that are debating on whether or not to go from zero to one, whether that's lose some weight in the gym, start a business, sell a business, whatever mm-hmm. it is, um, get up off the couch and do it. Um, if you had one piece of advice for somebody that's thinking about starting a business or doing something like that, what would it be? Yeah, I would say find something that you're passionate about. Um, not something that you can make a quick buck out of. Cause a lot of times if you decide to do something like that, where you think, Oh, I can make money this way. When the times get tough, you're going to want to quit. Cause it's not something you love doing uh, versus if you love whatever it is, you love making matchbox cars. You love making signs. You love making hot sauce. If you love and have a passion for that, when it starts getting tough or a little, you know, it's not going as well as it should. That's when you're going to want to, you know, dig your heels in and grind in and keep pushing forward versus if you're just, had an idea of something you think's doing great, but you're not passionate about it. You're when the times get tough, a lot of times you just decide to leave that and quit. So I would say find something you're passionate about um, and something that you can also sell, but with starting a business, but find out what you're passionate about and then move forward from that versus I have an idea of how I see all these people making money selling pops. Like I have a great friend of mine who sells pops. It was great in Nashville. Uh, Wes Howard, if you're listening, love you, man. Uh, a popping off toys, probably than that guy. But, uh, you know, he, he has strong passion about that. And I saw he was doing great. I'm like, oh, but I don't have a passion for that. Like, I, I mean, it's great. People love pops, love pops. I don't love pops unless it's Chris, Chris Pratt, which I have a couple of his. So Chris Pratt, I'd love to, love to meet you as well. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you're not passionate about it, when times get tough, that's when you usually you're going to stop doing it. So find something you're passionate about that you love doing, regardless of what it is. And if you want to move forward with that business or that idea, at least do that. So do it strongly too. So if you know, if it doesn't work out, because a lot of us don't, at least you gave it your shot and tried your hardest and not something that's an idea somewhere on a shelf that you never do. And then 20 years from now, you look back and regret that you never started it. It's great advice. Very cool. I like it. All right. So before we go, if you could tell our listeners um, two things, one, uh, where they can find you. And then also, um, I know we didn't really get into it too much, but if you could, before you do that, uh, I know you have some charities that you'd like to mention, uh, some charities that you kind of give back to. So if we could just kind of talk about that real briefly, um, and then we'll also link uh, the charities and then we'll link uh, all your media, your social media and your website uh, in our show notes. But uh, definitely want to talk about those charities before we uh, sign off. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, like I said, you can find me in uh Different local stores, but mostly on the website, uh, dash10sauce.com. Uh, you can buy all the different sauces and rubs and barbecue sauce that we sell. And then part of our mission uh, that we decided to do is we wanted to give back to, to veterans. Um, we just didn't know how to do that. And so um, I don't have my own 501c3. And so what we decided to do is um, we give uh, to right now three main different organizations that we've donated to recently. And so we want to try to not necessarily a part of our proceeds, but part of our, what we give back is to give out to organizations who directly support veterans. And so one of those is uh, Wounded Waters. Uh, what they do is uh, Kevin does that. And so he takes veterans, different active duty military, uh, law enforcement things. He actually takes them out in the water. And so the whole point of his mission is to get guys out of their normal headspace of where they're at. That's, you know, depression or whatever, to get them out in the open water, just to give them a chance to have fun, to relax and just to get them to just, you know, see how other stuff's out there. And so he does amazing work with taking guys out, um, out in the water. Another one is Code of Vets. And so they actually directly support uh, veterans uh, with um, compensation on who needs help um, with 
water, a power, food, uh, vets who reach out to them. And wow. so Code of Vets are amazing. Uh, Gretchen Smith started that um, organization. And then also um, my day job, I'm a sales manager for organization and we have a, a charitable actually, it's called Tomahawk Charitable Solutions. Uh, they are amazing. They support um, active duty LEOs, uh, retired military per personnel as well um, through different hardships. And so that's another great organization uh, that if you look those up, uh, all three are amazing and all three support um, both active duty, retired LEOs and um, line, first line uh, workers. Oh, that's very cool. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, we'll definitely, um, we'll put the links to those uh, charities on our uh, website also. Um, just one last time, uh, let people know your website and then what uh, what products they can uh, they can find there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, dash one zero sauce.com uh, is my website. Uh, go on there. We have currently at nine hot sauces uh, in two different sizes and the eight ounce and 1.7 ounce. Uh, we have a barbecue sauce that's phenomenal. Uh, it's a ketchup vinegar based combination. So people who fight over that can now use this sauce as the one true <laughs> and uh, move forward with that. And then I have a, a hot like a dry rub that I use. Actually, I made turkeys with and chicken with. It's great on ribs, pork. And then also I have a hot sauce one as well called Afterburner. Um, that's more of a hotter one um, that I use. It has a lot of cayenne pepper in it so that I use to make hot chicken with. So I have those uh, 10, 12, 13 different um, things I sell on different size bottles for everyone's needs. Very cool. And we'll, uh, for anyone that missed that, we'll put all the links uh, in our on our website, nothingo.com. So if you missed it, please uh, check it out. We'll link yeah, go, to, uh, go follow uh, Dash 10 Sauce uh, on Instagram. It's, yeah. uh, he's got a real good Instagram. You can follow him. He, he keeps you up to date. It's all one word, Dash 10 Sauce. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, Instagram, Twitter. All my handles are Dash 10 Sauce. Keep it simple. <laughs> and I will say, you're, uh, I like your website. And what's really impressive is your mobile website is really clean. I really like the way you did that. So for anyone out there, Thanks. if you're on your phone, the mobile website is awesome. Real easy to navigate did a real good job with that so yeah i did i did that myself too it, it took a long time but it saved me money so i didn't have to pay someone yeah it, it looks great that was really it, it's really nice so all right i know we're keeping you but once one last time thank you so much for coming on the show we really appreciate it it was great to hear your story oh yeah it's um, been great i know people are gonna love your stuff i'm gonna order some myself um looking forward to it but thanks again so for uh dave for ben this is brian signing off for the uh, method podcast and we'll uh, talk to you guys soon Everybody's here. Yes,